Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, grab your notes and we're going to dive in. And uh, we are in week two in a series on prayer. And uh, we're breaking down all of the components of prayer. We're looking at prayer to have a deeper understanding of prayer, to coincide with an initiative right now that we're undertaking in our church on all of our campuses called 21 Days of Prayer. Look at us. We're kind of connecting those two things uh, together. And so we're breaking prayer down and looking over all these important things. And uh, I was thinking about this. I want to introduce you to a... um, this idea, we have the 21 days of prayer, so we have some hubs that are going on. We have people meeting all over the community in these little 30-minute prayer hubs, learning more about prayer and, and investigating and maybe trying prayer out for the first time. We're all going to come back together on at the end of the month on the 29th at 6.30 over in our West Palm campus. We're going to have a prayer night over there. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be worship-filled. It's going to be a little rowdy. And we're going to have some prayer together, and so we want to encourage you to do that. But as we're talking about prayer, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is I I will set up the series with sort of a theme verse that I think uh, undergirds much of what we want to say and much of what we want to have you learn. I want to show you this prayer verse, and we're going to just say it out loud together. Psalm 46, verse 10 and A, the first part of it. Would you read this out loud with me? Ready, go. He says... Be still and know that I am God. Say it again. He says, be still and know that I am God. And so this is the idea that we want to uh, begin our series with around this idea. That you and I are learning all of these components of prayer. We're learning how to look at this maybe in some new ways. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we sort of stepped into the series and we we offered a beginning place, and this is kind of what I think of, that I want us to think of uh, when we think about prayer, that prayer is to the life of faith what water is to the human body. And if you were with us last week, I basically shared this idea that, you know, contextually speaking, those who study this sort of thing say that we can live 40 days and even beyond 40 days without food. That's a contextual thing, but that is true. It's happened. That's kind of a real thing. But contextually speaking, we can only live about three days without water. And so if we want to have a, a, a real rich and relational uh, you know, dynamic between us and the living God, prayer is the essential thing that makes this happen. And uh, this is what I want to point to. And this is kind of what we're, we're getting at. But here's what I know that's on, in the room whenever we talk about this because I feel this tension too, right? We struggle with prayer. How many of you would say you struggle with prayer? Sometimes we don't understand it. We have, we have um, confusion. We have misunderstanding. We have, um, you know, we have this felt sense sometimes that we don't measure up and that we're, we're, we can't pray, that prayer is only for the spiritually elite, whoever that is. Sometimes we've prayed very strong prayers and those prayers have been unanswered, it seems. And so we have some misunderstanding about that, maybe some deep emotion about that. And this is what we're doing in this series. We're wanting to unpack all of that. We want to look at all of that uh, together. 
And so this is an important idea, an important concept that we're, that we're looking at. Now, if you're, if you're with us, last weekend, here's what we did. We began with a very, very obscure, some would say weird passage of Scripture buried down into the middle of the Older Testament. And I didn't even give you the courtesy to start the story at the beginning. I started the story in the middle because I just wanted to confuse everybody. That's actually not why, but I wanted, I wanted to start this in this idea, not only to have us think together about like this 21-day prayer initiative, but I wanted us to look at this to study it from a standpoint of just seeing some of the deeper realities that are possible in prayer and to kind of surface all of that. And so what we're going to do again today, I'm going to take us back to this weird, obscure passage of scripture. We're going to read it one more time because here's what I'm thinking. After we finish reading this, some of you may never return again to the book of Daniel. And so we're going to go back to the book of Daniel. We're going to go to chapter 10. I'm going to read this obscure passage of scripture and again, and we're going to take a deeper look into what is happening in this story. So if you will, let's stand together. And this is our habit, this is our practice in these days. So we're looking at Daniel chapter 10. We're going to begin at verse 1. I want to read it to you. Here it is. So uh, it is written, In the third year uh, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, whose name was also called Belteshazzar. Now its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So Daniel has a vision. He says, At that time I, Daniel, mourned. For three weeks I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all till, until the three weeks were over. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me didn't see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision, and I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking, and I listened to him, and I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. And a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said, Daniel, You who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued. Now listen very carefully here. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. And then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and I began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I'm Overcome with anguish because of this vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord, for my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe? And again, the one who looked like a man touched me, gave me strength, 
Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you've given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? For soon I'll return to fight against the king of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I'll tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So today, um, every now and again, when uh, I share or Pastor Trevor uh, shares, we will sometimes use a phrase, we'll say, uh, today we're going to love God with our minds a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so uh, really, honestly, what I would encourage you to do is uh, maybe grab your phone or grab the app or grab a space where you could take some notes because um, today's message is sort of a little bit deeper and I want to take us into, if you're with us last week, uh, we looked at uh, this story, this weird story, and uh, we looked at the three main characters in the story, which are really always the three main characters in prayer. God, the enemy, which we're going to talk again about this morning, and us. And so this morning, what I want to do is I, I want to kind of move in on that space. I want to talk about those three characters, but I want to, I want to dip down and go a little bit uh, deeper into the interaction and the interplay that's involved with these three characters. Because I think if we can understand that a little better, we can understand even more yet the idea of prayer and how important prayer is and what the different corresponding elements are of prayer. And uh, I feel very passionate about what I want to talk about this morning. And so we're going to dig into this. And uh, when I see these three characters... I see uh, in these three characters, I see three things that these characters, uh, these, these individuals brought to the story and brought to the idea of prayer. Each of them begins with the letter T. And so we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. The first one I want to say is simply this. I see the idea of time. And when I think about time, I think, of course, and now I'm going to take them in reverse order, I think of Daniel, which is us. And so I want to uh, talk about time for just a moment. Here's what I think it's easy to say when we look at Daniel. And, And what I want us to think about for a moment, because I think this will really help us, I want you to pretend for just a moment, you don't know anything about prayer. So the only thing we're going to learn about prayer, the only idea that we can learn about prayer today comes out of this story. Let's just sort of think about that idea for a moment. And when, when I look at the idea of the three main characters and I think about Daniel, Daniel teaches us something about time. Here's what's clear. Here's what's obvious. Here's what can't be really denied. Daniel, by this time in the story, had come to a decision that uh, he had about prayer that he was willing to invest the time to pray. Now, that seems obvious, and uh, many of us are going, wow, I, I, you set all this up, we were, read this weird scripture, and that's all you got for us, okay? And uh, no, it's not all I have, but um, I want us to think about this. Daniel had uh, invested the time to pray, 
And uh, when you look at his life, you begin to see it. You can see it all over the story of Daniel. In fact, there's a passage of scripture a little bit earlier in the story, and I want to show it to you. It's actually Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And I want you to notice this verse. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, there was this decree that the king had published that everybody was going to worship this different god. And when Daniel learned of this decree, he went home to his upstairs room where he withdrew to the windows toward Jerusalem. And then going on, it says, three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done what? Before. Daniel had invested the time. Some, somewhere along the way, he, he had learned, he had prioritized he had figured out, he had scheduled this idea that prayer was important. Uh, he got to the place where he could pray bigger prayers because he first learned how to pray smaller prayers. Uh, when I think about this, I, I remember that uh, earlier in, uh, early in my ministry, uh, on the invitation of a friend, I read a book that is now uh, thought of in many ways as a classic of uh, leadership called uh, by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And uh, Stephen Covey talks about this principle where uh, if you study the lives of anybody who is fully stepping into all of their potential, if you study the life of anybody who has become fully proficient at what they really wanted to become proficient at, they invested the time to become proficient at it. And, uh, and so I remember early on uh, reading this book, and, and one of the things he talks about in this book is you put the big rocks into the schedule first. Now, the reason I want to share this and I want to start kind of on the bottom shelf, then we're going to dig a little deeper, is because here's what I believe about this year. The year's still early enough that many of us are still trying to figure out that, you know, the cement is wet. We are, we are right now building into our lives, hopefully many of us, we have a vision, we have a dream, we have an idea of what we want our life to look like. And so we're orienting our life around that. This is kind of what we typically do at the beginning of every year. And so it's kind of a foundational idea. But the thing that I want to point to around this idea is Daniel had done this. I remember uh, later on in ministry, uh, I, had, I had watched close enough, I had watched some friends of mine foul out in ministry. And I can remember uh, when I watched that, one, one was such a, a brutal falling out and flaming out that I can remember, you know, sometimes you learn from people what they, what they do and sometimes you learn from people what they don't do. Can I get an amen? And I had watched that and I, can, I, I remember making a decision when I watched this. I said, okay, well, I can tell you this. I don't want to do that. And so I remember years ago, I wrote this down, and some of you all know this, I, I carry a little thing in my wallet. This is how old it is. And uh, I just wrote some things down. This is easily, this piece of paper is 30 years old. I carry, carry it with me in my wallet. And I thought about what happened, and I just wrote down some things of why I would not do what had happened over here. And I said, you know, I would jeopardize my marriage, I... I could, I could ruin my ministry. I could lose respect. 
And then the other thing that happened across the years is um, I stepped into something called a rule of life, which is, which is this. I made some decisions about some of the big things in my life. What does it mean for me to be a, a, a son of God? What it, uh, uh, a son of the living God? What does it mean for me to be a husband? What does it mean for me to be a dad? What does it mean for me to be a pastor? And I wrote these things down. Because here's what I want to tell you. Part of the essence of learning how to pray is simply this, right? Praying. That's it. There's the big secret thing. Okay? We can all stand and close in prayer. Okay? Because I think that in the world, um, we, we know in the world, uh, what we think is normal is not normal. I was reading recently about uh, the three inventions in our world that have really changed uh, our understanding of how life works. I want to show you one is a picture of this. This is a picture of a clock. Uh, this is the oldest public clock. It's in France. It was um, revealed and um, made public back in 1310. That's, that's how old this clock is. And sociologists point to this and they say that when, when this uh, clock was made public, it was when the world began to shift from natural time to artificial time. There used to be a time when we would uh, get up when the sun came up, we go to sleep when the sun goes down, and after this we started to play with artificial time. There was another invention that came along much later that really uh, elevated and accelerated this idea. And before I show you the invention, I want to show you the person. Anybody know who this is? Thomas Edison. What did he create? Created this. And when he founded uh, this, when he uh, invented this, this became became the gateway where uh, all of us, um, where all this uh, acceleration began in terms of modernity. Uh, we began to have all these other additional creations, um, laundry machines, air conditioners, all these things began to happen and uh, that were supposed to increase our value. I was, I was reading this and I thought it was really interesting. Then all of these experiments created a dra- dramatic rise in leisure in America and, and those who study this thing predicted that our life would become a life of leisure. Listen to this. In 1967, a Senate subcommittee predicted that by 1985, you and I would only work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year because of all the free time we have. Just another reason how Washington is crushing it right now. Okay? Let me show you another invention before I'll show you the inventor. Who's that? Yeah, what did he invent? He invented this. Made its debut, I believe, in 2007. And in 2016, there was a study that found that uh, on an average day, an iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. In a combined time of two and a half hours, over 76 sessions. They did the study again in 2019, and it more than doubled over five hours a day. So here's the thing. you got to find time. You have to find time. Dallas Willard once said, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? 
He said, we have to learn how to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist whose research gave us the Myers-Briggs personality test, said at one time this way, he said, hurry isn't like the devil. Hurry is the devil. Which brings me to number two, the devil. Let's look at, um, I think of the devil, of course, I think of trouble. That's the enemy. That's Satan. You know, let's talk about him for a moment. In Daniel 10.13, we looked at last week this idea that the prince of the Persian kingdom resists Daniel's prayer 21 days. We made a connection last week to, from this passage of Scripture over to Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 12, where Paul says our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark, against spiritual forces of evil in he- heavenly realms. We said, that's weird, but there's connective tissue there. And so when we think about the enemy, here's what I want us to think about the enemy. The goal of the enemy is to create distance between you and God. Any way he can create distance. Sometimes it's your time. I, I think it was uh, Richard Foster in his classic book said this. He said, in contemporary society, our adversary, Satan, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can keep us engaged in the muchness and manyness of life, the enemy will rest satisfied. This is a challenge for us. And what's the goal behind that? Here's the simple goal. Distance. If he can figure out how to keep distance, between you and God. You know the number one rule of any warfare, right? Number one rule. Cut your enemy off from the resources that would lead to its success. This is what the enemy does. And here's what I would tell you. The enemy's always been doing that. In fact, if you and I go back to the story of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible, one of the things that's interesting to me about this idea is that when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve, he doesn't come right out. Follow me in this line of thinking. Go deeper here just for a moment. He doesn't say, um, hey, here's the fruit. Eat the fruit. Here's what he says. He says, did God really say Do you notice what he's doing there? He's creating a question. He's creating doubt. Here's what he's doing. He's making you doubt God's character. Did God really say? You get over to Genesis 2, he does it again. He goes, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? That's not what God said. Here's what God actually said. He said, the whole garden is yours, except for the one tree that's poisonous. Stay away from that tree. But the way the enemy fashions it, right, is he creates this sense where you doubt the character and the goodness of God. God isn't good. God isn't extravagant. What is God? He's stingy. He's restrictive. Do you you see it? Let me go a little step further. Uh, Every time in Genesis 
when it talks about God, it, it calls God Yahweh Elohim, which translated means Lord God. Every time the enemy speaks and talks to God or calls God's name, he only calls God Elohim. What's the difference, Pastor Dale? This is the formal name for God. In other words, he's depersonalizing God to them. Uh, It would be like a loved one calling their relative who is a doctor, doctor, and not Linda by her name. It would be like us um, calling uh, our father, father, not dad. It would be like um, you calling me Reverend Doctor, not P. Diddy. I don't know if you all know, too. Um, Pete, I, I want to show you this. P. Diddy's about to be Grand Diddy. Right? But don't miss my point. (laughs) Squirrel, everybody, squirrel. The enemy wants to depersonalize your relationship with God. The biggest thing I want you to learn today is this. Um, There's one more character, right? Uh, It's and it's the treasure. And it's the treasure of a God you can know. So Jesus is with the disciples, and they come to him one day. If you're following our Bible reading plan, you read it this week. And in Luke chapter 11, we see it. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now remember, these were Jewish men. This isn't like they didn't know how to pray. They've been praying their whole lives. So this verse is actually pointing at something else. What's it pointing at? It's it's pointing at the way Jesus prayed. When you pray, Jesus, you pray different. And so then Jesus, look at this. He said to them, okay, so when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Do you notice? What's he doing? He's reestablishing the intimacy that he wants you to have with God. The enemy wants to have you uh, misunderstand God's character. Now, watch this. This is really big on me when I learned this, when I thought of this, when I read this. If the enemy can make God less than a father and make him a distant God, then then you know what? That makes you less than a daughter 
and me less than a son. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. You have a God who wants to restore this intimate relationship that you can have. Jesus modeled it everywhere. And in a world that prides itself on power and prestige and, you know, all these special things, Jesus prides humility, vulnerability, even even this. Weakness, this is why he said in, in the book of Matthew, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why Paul would later write 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast and more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is the inverse relationship that God invites you and I to have right there. The biggest thing we could do for our prayer lives is to ask God to remove any barrier of distance between us. Because I want to tell you what, he's not the one who wants to be distant. And many of us, my sense is, if you feel distance, I want to tell you straight out, You've bought a lie from the enemy. You've bought a lie from the enemy. And I would ask you to reject that lie and reestablish an intimate relationship with the living God who has made himself available to you. Lord, I ask you to help us. This is hard and tender for many of us. We have things in our lives, Lord, that are in front of us. And God, yet your word says, you are for us, not against us. Please help us reestablish our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week in our prayer hubs, this week uh, in us thinking about prayer and stepping into this discipline, I want to remind you first to remember you have a Heavenly Father who wants to connect with you, who wants to shrink all the distance you may feel is between you and Him. He loves you, and He wants you to be His son, wants you to be His daughter. I want to remind you we have out on our porch the uh, support groups. Would you go in this prayer? Lord, thank you that you've done everything possible that we can be in relationship with you. Would you remind us, God, that you withhold judgment, that you withhold shame, that you have love for us. Teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next weekend. God bless.